0: Welcome to Utterly Astounded, where eschatology meets current events meets real life, at least my regular real life at home here in Southern California. I have with me today Anthony Forsyth. He is a native of Britain. He has been a pastor for over 20 years and currently is the pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in Burbank, California. And I met Anthony at the Shepherds Conference Bookstore. And if you don't know what that is, it's like crack cocaine for the Christian. It is a little slice of heaven on earth. If you don't know what I'm talking about, it's our church's annual conference, Grace Community Church for Pastors. And the book tent has every publisher in christendom selling their wares and it's like a bibliophiles dream come true and i had some books in my hand about the government and tyranny and anthony looks at my stack of books and said oh you're interested in this subject you have to read this one that i did so he hands me this book published by cress biblical resources and the name of the book is caesar and the church well This little gem of a book I read in one sitting over coffee the next morning, and I was so impressed because it's concise, it's clear, it's a great reference to be used as an apologetic for why we do not bow down to Caesar by answering the foundational question, who is Caesar and what is the real requirement for the Christian? The question has become so muddled in the church and covid really revealed a lot of misinformation that believers are believing so this book is such a helpful tool it's endorsed by our very own john macarthur if you go to grace church jenna ellis the lawyer that won our case against the county of la and paul washer so there you go so anthony welcome i'm so glad to have you thank you so much so let's get to some of these <laughs> questions so number one define statism and how the COVID-19 pandemic revealed the church's slow dive into that philosophy.
1: Well statism is um it's one of those words that people use it in different ways and um you know so you can have it sort of reminds me of how the church uses the term legalism. Some people use the term legalism very, very, very strictly, and it only refers to people trying to impose works as a means of salvation, but other people use it more loosely and any rules in addition to what scripture would, uh, would be considered legalism. And statism is very similar in that regard, in that there are some people who would say that, that statism has to be such an overt um, worship of the state that you know it would have to be something that would be really out there outlandish and and clear and i i tend to use the term a little bit more loosely just like i do with legalism in i think that statism is really when we start to make the government our god in some way and and i think that because of that definition it is in essence a form of idolatry but i think the problem is is that we sometimes think that The only way in which we can make government God is by somehow, you know, some adoring act of worship, you know, oh, oh great government, how we love you and worship you. And, you know, you know, we bow the knee and all of this sort of thing. Um, And and I think that that really when we start to look to government to fulfill roles in our lives as individuals, in in our lives as a society, that really is God's job. then, then we are getting into the realm of statism. So, with with regards to the context of you know, COVID and government authority and the book I wrote and what have you, the real issue with statism becomes a case of why why does the government get to make the rules? In other words, if if the government says now, right now, you have to, uh, you know every time you go to a grocery store on a Friday you have to hop on one leg or something like that then hopefully we'd say well that's just ridiculous you can't make us do that but why can't they make us do that why can can they set rules and why can't they set rules and where are the limits and for us as Christians that should be a relatively easy question although obviously historically we've sort of come away from this as we'll presumably talk about but but in, in that we believe that God has all authority that's a clear biblical teaching that's very, very simple. So, so the, so Christians believe that ultimately the government has, um, only has delegated authority. It's been delegated by God, but for the unbeliever, it's a very difficult question. I've had lots of good conversations with people over the last few years, just, you know, bumping into people, you know, while being unmasked in a grocery store during a, a, you know, the mandates of Los Angeles and, you know, and, and had these conversations, basically trying to get them to the question of, well, why does the government have authority to do this? Is, who, who's above the government? Where, where is the upper ceiling here? And I think it's because the world doesn't have a theology of God being sovereign over all, they have inevitably fallen into statism. Whereby the government can just make whatever rules it likes, do whatever it likes, um, because they're government, they're in charge, they can just do what they want. They are the highest authority. Um,
0: so that's even interesting. I just think about, say, something like the greatest generation, maybe, I don't know, 40 or 50 years ago when Christianity was more of a worldview in this country. I mean, not completely but it was more of a worldview. So we were more against statism back then, yeah. but now it's yeah. creeped in so badly. And, you know, not only in regular society, but also in the church. Yeah, that, that's an interesting point.
1: And I think that what's happened in the church is that we have just simply, because the church has become so corrupted in so many ways, this is one of the seemingly my, you know, not not out, um, obviously not now, but initially seemed like a much milder ad, Adopting of the world's way of thinking of things, right. that, well, yeah, you got to do, you know, you, you, you take you take the statism that the world embraces because they don't believe in God, and then you throw in a little bit of Romans thirteen, and suddenly you have Christians who, who are basically saying, well, we have to do whatever the government tells us to do unless it's sinful, and you know that that is a form of status that is right
0: and and i like that that actually leads into that second question is how has romans 13 been misunderstood by christians and the church leaders because that's really important they're the ones who who are you know leading the congregations in light of the truth for there is no authority except from god and those which exist have been appointed by god
1: yeah and, and obviously i've you know i've thought about this a lot over the last few years and um, you know, I was somebody who I think that if I kind of went back over old sermons, um, I probably would be not not as clear on this point as I'd like to have been. I mean, COVID has, you know, been used by God to force many of us to rethink our views on these things. But I think that the, the the biggest problem that the church has had with Romans 13, it come from um, an overly simplistic view of scripture. The, the church right now is is more minimalist than it ever has been. It's like, what makes a church a church has been cut down to the, you know, people were saying, oh, well, we're doing live stream, we're having a zoom and therefore that is church. And so what makes church church has been minimalized. what is being considered to be teaching the Bible has been minimalized and we just live in this Christian culture now where, where where a tweet can be considered too long and and if people know any verses of the Bible, then it's one verse here or half a verse there. So when you come to Romans 13 people typically quote half a verse or they have, Recollection, loosely paraphrasing a part of verse, or we have to submit to the government, don't we? And that's it, because that simplistic form of Christianity, where you take a sentence or half a sentence or a clause, and you know, stick it on a coffee mug or put it on an Instagram post or what have you, and 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 that's the that's the level of understanding that we're dealing with,
0: right? Like soundbite Christianity, Absolutely. right? Absolutely,
1: yeah. That's yes. Yeah, I should have just said soundbite Christianity, and I could have saved myself too. <laughs> talking there but yes that's essentially what I'm talking about I'm talking about just this this idea that we we have a little sentence or phrase here or there and that's the matter dealt with I don't think there's any
0: subject right you're speaking of a broader context which is that this is infiltrating the church on many levels not not just yes 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 Mm -hmm. yes.
1: But, but but there's no area where this has been clearer than in Romans 13 I mean when one thing I do in the book is I unpack and not just Romans 13, but also Romans, the end of Romans 12, because that's the context leading into Romans 13. And as I wrote it, I was very conscious that I wasn't trying to write for my congregation. I wasn't trying to write for people who go to Grace Community Church. I wasn't trying to write for people who are used to expository teaching. I was very aware that, you know, the the people I really want to reach with this book are people who, um, you know, are fully immersed in that soundbite Christianity. And they may never have anybody walk them through this process of understanding the text. Um, so you wanted to, I wanted to just take them by the hand and say, okay, I can see where you get this from, from this half a verse here, but let's look at the section before, let's look at the section after, let's just see what this whole passage is saying. Um, because Romans 13 ultimately is is far more to do with, speaking of the limitations of government, than it is to speaking about us doing whatever government says.
0: And that was revealed very well and communicated very well in the book. That really helped to clarify that point. Well, will you just kind of lead us through a little bit and talk about the proper interpretation of First Peter 2, 13 through 17?
1: Yeah, now First Peter 2 is an interesting one. And, and, and it's the area where I think is eye-opening for so many in our circles who may well agree with us on Romans 13. One thing I see a lot in our circles is that people will, will take a view of Romans 13 whereby they'll they'll understand, you know, in, in its context a little bit better and they'll, they'll understand that God has all authority and what have you, but they can go too far down that road. And then you get to this point where they say, okay, well, if the government is, is tyrannical, if the government's overreaching then they don't have authority, they're taking authority God hasn't given to them, and, and, and we can essentially just dismiss them, First Peter 2 doesn't allow us to do that, the very important thing about First Peter 2 in context is the structure of the passage, so First Peter 2 is what theologians will call a household code, we've got like, you know, you know, um, family and slaves and masters and government often comes into those, those kind of passages, so He talks about submission to government, he talks about submission to masters and slaves, and then he gets on to wives and husbands. But but in between, in the middle of that, in the middle of that whole section, it's split up with this beautiful description of the submission of Christ, and how Christ entrusted himself to the Father in the midst of bad treatment. And what becomes clearer and clearer as you go through that whole section the context is, what do we do in these kind of household relationships, governments, families, masters and slaves, and what have you? What do we do in these relationships when the person in charge is bad? And that becomes very clear when you get to the section at the beginning of chapter three with regards to the wife, where it talks about what, you know, wives whose who's, you know, husbands you know, are, are not of the word. And then even when we come to husbands, it says husbands likewise. Those are what husbands do when their wives aren't godly. Even though the the husband is in the position of authority there, there's still still an address to them in a similar situation. So what do we do when the other person in the relationship, be it the government, be it a spouse, or whatever, isn't doing what they're supposed to do? The answer is, broadly speaking, Trust God and do what you're supposed to do. The possibility of rejecting government outright, or a particular government outright, because they've made bad decisions, isn't valid. If they do have authority and they do it badly, then that's tough. And we just have to accept that. If God forbid something happened to someone in my family and we have to trust the police and the legal system and the government, the civil government generally, to seek justice, and there is no justice the 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 perpetrator goes free we ourselves may want to say right well the government has failed to give us justice so we will do something ourselves outside of the legal system we have no authority to do that that is their authority God has given them authority to do that and we must submit to that even when they don't do their job properly and we need to trust God that he will deal with them for not doing their job properly, and so absolutely, when the government is doing what it's supposed to be doing, then we trust God and we let them do that, no matter how badly they do it, um, and we must submit to them absolutely. And that's where First Peter two is very, very clear. But but the other side of that is, is, when they then say, "Oh, this is how you must conduct your worship services," then. To do what they say, and this is a point I, I, I like to be clear on, to do what they say is not submission, because they don't have authority. Submission, by definition, is, is when we do what we're told by someone who has authority. You know, if if some stranger comes up to, um, to somebody else's child in the grocery store and says, hey, child, you must do this because I'm an adult, it's like, well, no, you're... you're you're not their parents, and you don't have authority over that particular child. You might have authority over your own child, but you don't over this child. Um, and, and therefore, what you them doing what, the, what you tell them to do isn't submission. It's not because you don't have authority. This is one right. of the things that's happened in our society, is that the government, perhaps because it realizes it doesn't have the authority to do the things it's it's telling us to do, has sort of gotten the rest of society to play sort of like school prefect. You walk into a store and if you don't wear a mask, then you might get some complete stranger say, hey, why aren't aren't you doing your bit? And why aren't you wearing your mask? This person has no authority at all, but the government (laughs) created this environment because it's overstepped its authority where it gets, it's getting everybody else to overstep their authority as well.
0: Oh, wow, I didn't think of that, but that is absolutely true. That's that's a great way to put it. They're, yeah, well, like, they're, they're modeling it and then everybody else is jumping on the yeah. bandwagon and doing the same thing.
1: Yeah. Although I some, certainly got away from First Peter. I think my my point to yeah. First Peter was, was simply that First Peter is a reminder that when the government does its job badly, it's still got authority because God gave it that authority. And therefore, we submit to governments, even bad governments, and we do what they say in to the extent that they are exercising the authority that has been granted to them by God. But when they try and exercise authority that God never gave them, that they have simply taken up because they wanted to, as if they themselves were God, then we are under no obligation to bow to that statism and to accept that statism, uh, that government is God
0: right and that kind of answers um, that yeah that kind of answers the question that submission and this is quoting from the book i think even submission to caesar is dependent upon caesar operating within the limited authority that god has delegated to him but like you're saying but we cannot conclude that an evil caesar somehow loses his god delegated authority and that there are no longer any grounds for submission or honor so you're saying yeah "Yeah, we submit to the evil rulers when they don't do what they're supposed to do, but we don't obey anything that's outside of their delegated authority, like church and the rules for church or having authority over uh, one's one's own body. And I thought this was really helpful, Anthony, in the book, there's a great distinction regarding confusing authority, which God delegates and might or power, I'm going to use the word power, which God permits. This was really helpful for me. Just because God has delegated authority to a person does not mean he has permitted them to have might or power. And you use the example, a burglar with a gun has no authority over your wallet, but that is not to say he has no power over it. Yeah, The distinction is crucial. Just because they don't have authority doesn't mean they don't have power. And that's very true. It's like, I can resist that happening to me, but this person has power if they're the one with the bigger firearm.
1: That's yes, it, yeah, absolutely, which is, which is, you know, I, I shouldn't really talk on such matters as a Brit, but that's where the second amendment becomes so crucial in, in America. Once we've established that the government doesn't have authority to do many of the things that it's it's trying to you know, to enforce, many of the things it's trying to enforce, how then do we deal with the fact that they think they have that authority and practically speaking they have a degree of might really at the in that third final section of the book there is I've made a real plea for us to not be legalistic and and I think it was a good opportunity to do that because it's very easy when when you're when you're two-thirds of the way through a book if you're in agreement with what you've read so far um, and you're there yeah you know Caesar, Caesar shouldn't be doing this, he doesn't have authority to do this, he's overreaching, it's tyranny blah blah blah, you know, and what have you, and then we, we suddenly say okay let's make sure that we're not legalistic too, then it's the perfect opportunity to raise that because while we're looking at someone who's overreaching their authority and saying isn't that a bad thing, then it's a good reminder that we too ourselves should be careful not to overstep our authority. It's very easy for us to get caught up in legalism. And we've seen that in that we saw many people who were opposed to the government overreach, um, who in their churches actually banned people from wearing masks. And I just, I don't, you know, it just clearly shows that somebody hasn't really grasped the issues because there they are saying, well, Caesar's a tyrant. He has got no right to make us wear masks. And it's like, well, you're a pastor. Why have you got the right to not let people
0: wear masks? Right. That's tyrannical in its own sense, exactly. I guess you would say. Yeah. It helped me too, actually seeing that and thinking. How I needed to think that through too, because I, of course, like everybody else, can get judgmental and think, well, why are yeah. they doing it this way or that way? And not kind of ending with the point that you do end with. So I'm going to ask that question. And then I'm going to ask my very last question, which is what should your average... Christian do to prepare for future attacks against the church, because I think that we are in for it. Coming to a theater near you, we already saw what's happening with COVID. There's going to be something that's coming down the pike very quickly, I'm sure. So perhaps, and this is what you're talking about, uh, elaborate on the point that when God's word is clear, then our course of action is equally so. But when we have the liberty to choose, then we must always be motivated by love. Whenever we love, as God defines it, we are being obedient to God, which is terrific. And those who hand over their delegated authority will, this is something else I wanted to point out that I think is really important. If you hand over your delegated authority, like pastors, you will be held accountable by Christ for bowing to Caesar's demands far more than others within the church, because you're handing over the reins to people who have rejected God. And that's mm. really dangerous. And I think that's a sobering warning. So that's a that's a warning for pa- pastors and eldership and leadership in the church. And then also just thinking about how we can be motivated by love, I think, especially since the, as the days grow darker, it's even more difficult to do that.
1: Mm. Yeah. And and, you know, I mean, in, in the, it, to the original question of what does the average Christian do to defend against this? I think. Uh, I think the obvious answer is to buy huge numbers of copies of Caesar in the church and, <laughs> to all your friends and family and neighbors and what have you. Yes. Uh, I mean, I, I, you know, there have been several books that have, have come up on similar sort of areas of uh, of study that, um, that are a bit more in depth than mine that have been more specific about COVID and what have you. The advantage of my book is I think that when COVID is very much in the, you know, if it ever is, but hopefully if one day it's in the rearview mirror, and consigned to history, the book is still just useful as a primer on the issue of government and authority. The number one thing we need to do is we need to get this soundbite generation of Christians a proper understanding of authority. And that begins with the the very clear statement that God has all authority, that all authority belongs to him. So anybody who exercises any authority in any other realm is doing so because that authority is God's, and God has delegated to them the right to exercise His authority on His behalf for His purposes. And we as Christians need to fully embrace that. And I think that it's the I think it's still the minority view. I think that the majority of Christians just don't get this at all. You know, what's the government gonna tell us to do next? And-
0: That's what I think. What's the government going to tell us to do next? And that's why, Mm -hmm. yeah, again, I so appreciated the book because I was reading it and I was thinking, exactly, that's what I thought. I just needed a way to put it into words and be able to suss it out and kind of make those connections and then be able to say, and have a good argument and say, hey, here is a clear and concise argument starting with the thesis all authority is from God. And yeah. we believe that he's in sovereign control. His providence is, you know, throughout every generation. Yes. And amen. But when it comes to these ticky tack issues that we have seen now, who would have thought, you know, that a wearing yeah. a mask was going to be the thing that was going to explode.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, and, and, and,
0: and, you know, this,
1: and this is, this is why we've got to work it all through. I mean, it is, as you say, so simple in that, you know, every Christian would, I hope, you know, Bible-believing Christian would say, yes, God has all authority. So we we should have all all be you know okay at the same starting point. So really, and that's what the book tries to do in the early chapters is just take people by the hand and say, okay, so we believe that, do we? Okay, so if that's the case, then all authority that humans have is delegated. Okay, are we okay with that? Now let's walk people through so they can start to apply this theology to to lives because i think that even in, in our own circles people have been you know some people have got to the point where they've understood realm a little bit where okay so so the government doesn't have authority over the way that the church runs its worship service but many of those same christians would then be oh but when i go out and about into a, into society if there's a mask mandate i have to submit and wear my mask um, in, in society broadly um once i'm outside of the church and you know again if we've understood the principles it's like we have to ask ourselves a question how come the government has authority to tell us what to wear you know and and christians may may think through this issue and may come to the conclusion as i say in the book that they choose to wear a mask that's fine that's absolutely fine but the the problem is is when we demonize those who take a different view whereas we within the church on these non biblical issues, on these issues of conscience, we've got to let people make their own minds up. Then for many of us, you know, the conclusions have been that it's more loving to go into a store without a mask on during the mask mandates. I have more opportunities to speak about Christ to people who are open through walking into a store without a mask on than from doing any other thing in the public sphere in the last two or three years.
0: Wow, that's actually remarkable. I'd love to have, I'd love to talk to you about those stories because that's fascinating to me, actually. But but it makes
1: sense, doesn't it? Because, you know, there are people in those stores wearing masks who think that you not wearing one is going to kill everybody in society and you're this evil, wicked person. But majority of those people are only wearing, or for the majority of the time anyway, are only wearing those masks because they've been told to. And when they see you not wearing one, and you just kind of brazenly doing it, then often they've came up to me and said, oh, well, I appreciate you doing that, thank you. And, you know, and we get into conversations. And of course, it, it's, a, it's a fantastic openness to the gospel. It's like, well, if you're okay with me not wearing one, why do you feel you have to? Well, you know, the rules, blah, 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 blah. Well, who has the rules? Who sets the rules? Are there limits of government? And we can get into those kind of conversations, and then ultimately, that's an opportunity for me to say that as a Christian, I believe that God has all authority, that I don't believe in statism. I don't believe that the government's the highest authority, that I believe that God is the highest authority. And um, it's just a wonderful way to then be able to have an opportunity to preach Christ to people.
0: Wow. 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 Okay. I'm going to try that next time. I thought I tried some of that. I was very rebellious about the mask thing, but I just got a lot of dirty looks. (laughs) So (laughs) I was hoping for gospel opportunities. I don't know. You, you, uh, you must have had a a nicer disposition, Anthony.
1: (laughs) Well, that's very kind of you to say, so I'm not sure that's the case, but, but I I mean, you know, but that isn't to say that anybody who chose to wear a mask was doing so was doing wrong because if you know, and I say this in the book very clearly, is that we need to be motivated by love and conscience. And if somebody believes that wearing a cloth mask is going to actively prevent other people from getting sick and dying, and therefore it's the more loving thing to do, and you don't want to cause a fuss, and that's the more loving thing to do, and it's on your conscience therefore to wear a mask, then you must wear a mask, because it's on your conscience and you think that's loving. Sure. But for other people, they don't, you know, don't believe in the efficacy of the mask. um, And they believe that it's more loving to stand up to tyranny than to play along with it.
0: And uh, And that's sort of how I felt. And I thought I was doing other people a favor, kind of, by saying, you know what, We, we need to think this through. And why are you allowing the government basically to tell you how to dress, what to wear, you know? Yeah,
1: absolutely. And my conscience came to the same conclusion. But you and I and people like us, have to be very, very aware that not everybody has, has the same conscience with regards to their decisions. And that there's no verse in the Bible saying mask up when the government tells you to, or, or don't mask up, or what have you, then they have the freedom and responsibility to go according to their conscience in that matter. And, it, you know, that really we need to have this kind of plea going out for Christians to be able to come to differing conclusions regarding our own personal walk
0: if there is someone listening who is in a church with leadership that succumbs to an errant view of governmental authority what should they do besides hand the pastor a copy of your book
1: <laughs> yeah, well you oh, just yeah. you preempted me that was my first answer
0: yeah yeah
1: yeah and, and and you know I i i know people in who are pastors who who um need a copy of my book and i and when I was writing it, um, one of the areas in which my wife was so helpful to me was she was like, "Well, so and so, if they had a copy of your book right now, they wouldn't keep reading at this point. You know you need to you need to realize that you're trying to help them rather than just wag the finger at. Them. And so so I think a much better book because of her input in that regard. Um, so yeah i think you know they would they would benefit from from reading but if if they don't and they won't and they they're not open on this issue um the next best thing is for people in that church um to read the book themselves and then try and have those conversations with their pastor and say you know well hold on a second you say we have to submit to government but doesn't god have all authority so isn't the authority that the government have what's being given by god so what authority has God given the government? Can you show me a Bible passage that teaches on that? And, you know, you have those conversations with your pastor. Um, because I, th- I think it would be a bit much for us to say, if somebody is a pastor and they got this wrong, then they're a terrible heretic and sure, I have you. There are many churches that have really good, solid theology who very sadly got this very, very wrong. Um, I have my theories about that. Um, It may not work in every case, but I think that churches that had seemingly good authority, I'm sorry, seemingly good theology on most issues, who got this completely wrong, have often, not always, but have often been churches that um, have had a problem with legalism. Mm. So, if you are a church that goes beyond your authority, if people at your church have to be corrected on every minutiae, and you have a very specific way of doing things and that's the only way and what have you, then how do you criticize the government when they're essentially doing the same thing? And I think that it, it has created an environment where if you at a church have been so used to your pastor overreaching his authority, then... Um, then to have the government do so is just not such a big deal. So I think, I think that's a connection. I think that's part of the, So maybe part of the conversation is getting to the root of the legalism that has allowed that kind of understanding to come in. That said, I think we're now in 2022 and there was a lot of, a lot of compassion and a lot of liberty for pastors who got it wrong in 2020. I think there's less kind of allowance for them in 2021 and now we're in 2022 it's like why haven't you sorted this out now the information is out there we've all been talking about it you should have you know um i think that becomes less of an excuse as time goes by there are certain theologies that are quite major maybe some aspect of the trinity for example let's let's say the deity of the holy spirit the deity of the holy spirit is an important doctrine It's, um, you know, if you don't believe the Holy Spirit is God, then you're non-Trinitarian and that's, you know, you're seriously outside orthodox teaching. But If you believe in the deity of Christ, how often does the deity of the Holy Spirit come up in church? How often is it impacted in our teaching? How often does it affect our lives practically? You know, and, and, and the great theologians at this point will say, well, actually, in fact, it affects us in lots of ways. Maybe you haven't thought of it. And that may well be true. But there are other doctrines that are far less important historically that have huge implications practically. So if, you're, if your pastor gets you know, 90% of things in the Bible right, you agree on things, are a good Bible teacher, but they shut their church down for a year, and only did live stream that has huge practical implications and so though we might say well you know that's not like a huge major doctrine the the practical ramifications mean that it's you know you know lots of people love their pastors and they love the teaching and the church got this wrong and they went to other churches because they had to go to church right I think at that point it's very hard and rightly so, for people to go back to those churches um, when they reopen. We, we, We in California have many, many churches that did whatever Governor Newsom said, shut themselves down. You know, we had churches locally that were meeting outside with masks on while socially distancing and not singing. I mean, they were doing literally everything they'd been told. And there is, in some of those churches, either overtly or covertly a sort of disapproval of pastors like myself or John MacArthur that would stand up and have church regardless. And yet it's only because of those pastors who stood up and did church that it went through the courts and cases were won and cases were dropped. And and now we can legally, you know, in in America, we can have church and they can't stop us from meeting because that's been established by the Supreme Court. Right. And so these churches that shut down are now saying, oh, well, we're still going to do what the government says, but now the government said that we can have church, so we we are. And it's like, you were the cowards. You were the people. and, And now you're having church and you haven't learned your lesson. And it's only because of the people that you criticized that you're even able to have church right now. And I think that to go back to a church like that, as if nothing happened, as if it was just this mere blip, I mean, personally, I couldn't do it.
0: Right. I I think that's a grave mistake, especially in light of the fact that there's going to be something else that's going to happen. I mean, this the trajectory, that was the shot over the bow. We're going to get hit with something else and then something else and something else and if the people and the pastors and the people in the congregation are not thinking this through and making those decisions it's just going to get worse and worse so this is such a huge topic in my mind
1: yeah and I, and I think that you know I mean, we see tra- the trajectory of things like this and we see that you know like like many people would agree with you and say you oh, know things are gonna get worse and we're gonna we're gonna have bigger issues like this but equally, I mean, imagine being alive in World War II. You know, Hitler looks like he's probably the Antichrist. He's trying to kill off all the Jews and, and what have you. And this is the end and what have you. But people rose up against him and God providentially brought that to an end. And then, you know, we had a period of time after that where society was, was much better than it is now. And I, and I think that, you know, by the grace and the mercies of God, things may get better in 20 years. And a lot of that is going to depend on the church speaking out. If people don't hear from the church that the government's authority is limited, where are they going to hear it from? Amen. And we need to stand up for the good of society as well. And, and, and the fact that the, the majority of so-called Bible teaching churches given up and, 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 and embraced statism, is just shocking. I um, keep up with the sort of church leaders in the UK and I mean, in the UK, I mean, MacArthur's becoming more and more of a pariah because how, how dare he do this? How dare he stand up and all of this? And, and yeah, again, it's bubbles. We're in our little bubbles and we don't realize just that, you know, that trying to keep church open in many other countries outside America, many of these legacy brand countries, you know, the, the, the ones that we consider to be free that would never fall, the Canadas, the Australia's, the, the UKs, um, in Europe.
0: Yeah, that's been pretty shocking.
1: The church leaders have, have played ball, and again, it all comes from a misunderstanding of Romans 13, misapplied. Um, so we as churches need to get this issue right. As churches, we need to stand up, as churches, we need to say to the government, we you know, we we do not recognize your overreach of authority, and to say that loud and publicly, if a church doesn't rise up against this, then you're right, then then the next issue is going to come along and um, it's gonna get worse and worse and worse. But praise God, if that happens, there will be more people who will come and join us as the issues become bigger. There are people who f- failed with this test, with the COVID test. And they, right.
0: they can they can pass it next time if you listen <laughs> and you yeah. get it right. Yeah. And, that, and that's
1: why with the book, I've deliberately tried to do it in such a way that it is not just a here's a book for 2022 post-COVID, you know, but rather this is something that is timeless. This is, these are biblical principles. This is not me talking about the law. It's not me talking about any particular country or what have you. This is just me talking about the Bible and what it teaches.
0: Right. Get
1: this issue sorted out now or next year or whenever God opens up, you know, your eyes to it.
0: Right. Amen. That's excellent. So I just want to end with a, uh, endorsement i just want to say i'm just going to read a little bit of what john MacArthur said those of you who uh go by you know a lot of his recommendations and he said regarding the book i know it will be a great encouragement to pastors and lay people alike as we all attempt to respond righteously to so many unexpected threats to the liberty we enjoy in christ and i think that's just well said and i think that's very true and of course i encourage everybody who is listening to get a copy of the book and I will put the title and the author's name, of course, Anthony Forsyth in the show notes. And honestly, I really encourage you to to get it and ponder it and then uh, pass it and buy it and and give it to a friend because the more people that understand how to deal with this issue and the, the way that we can get our information correctly, the way that we can handle these problems the better, because we're all strengthened. The unity of the church is so important, and we're all strengthened in that way when we do that. So, any last thoughts, Anthony?
1: No, other than you know, I, I I still have to kind of shake my head a little bit when I hear you read the endorsement uh, from from John MacArthur. I mean, um, you know, I I I pastor a small church of you know a handful of people in uh, in Burbank, Calvary Baptist, and. Uh, that someone like John MacArthur would write such a well thought out and you know um, endorse—it's not just a token endorsement. He's 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 appreciative. He sees what the book's done, and um, that that people like him and Jenna Ellis and Paul Washer would have taken the time to have read my book and to have carefully and considered what to say about it and to endorse it is 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 deeply humbling and. Um, you know, I, I, still, I still can't quite get my head around it, really. It's, it's, a, it's a surreal thing, you know, by the providence of God, and like I say, in the mercy of God, and some key people, um, my wife and some, some good friends um, just kind of nudging me and prompting me in certain ways, that we've ended up with a, a really easy, concise, biblically accurate read that would be sufficient um, if God were to allow it would be sufficient to bring somebody from a place of statism and unaware perhaps statism and bring them to a place where they can have a proper biblical understanding on these matters and to have been used by God to 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 have you know to have written that is you know is, is a wonderful thing it's a really
0: nice thing um, i i i couldn't agree more and i think that that's so true uh even with myself just reading it you don't really realize how you've fallen into statism until yeah. you actually get it defined and then you start seeing places where you have been guilty of that so i think this book is so helpful for yeah. somebody, if you've been a Christian for 10 minutes or, you know, 40 years or 50 years, it's really helpful.
1: And I think the thing for me writing it as well was just, again, another fresh look at, you know, I, I, I have historically been too tyrannical as a pastor. I have historically been too tyrannical as a husband, as a father, and, and needing to, to change things and put things right. Because when you have your, your as you guys would say over here, your boogeyman, um in Caesar and you know here's this guy and how dare he overstep his authority um the right thing to do is to go to our own hearts and say well what authority do I have and am I overriding that am I going beyond that um you know how can how can I as a husband look at Romans 13 and say aha That The government has been given authority for a particular purpose. They're supposed to be punishing evil. And God gets to define what is good and what is evil. And and the government doesn't have authority to do do all these other things. And then not look at Ephesians 5 and say, well, God's given me authority in the home so that I might be a vessel of love. And um, that's the purpose of my authority. And there needs to be a degree of consistency in this regard um which i know in my my life historically i haven't modeled as i should Um, and so if if the book can help people in in the broader understanding of authority and how it applies to their own lives then that would be a real added bonus as
0: well right amen well it has been wonderful chatting with you And I uh, wish you all the best in the book, and I pray that the Lord just continues to use it for your good, for all of our good, and his glory, and I do believe that will be the case. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you.